0: We seek to passionately proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. That is the mission statement here at Aerosmith. We have, had that mis- we have a mission statement in order to clarify what we as a church are called to do, and we believe that is our call. Within the context of the Great Commission, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In these words, Jesus declared their mission to be the making and maturing of disciples. We are to make disciples by pursuing the lost, and maturing the found at home and abroad. Our mission is moving people from wherever they are in their relationship with God, whether they're lost or saved, to where God wants them to be. In short, our mission is to make disciples by helping people find Jesus and follow Jesus. And we've defined that in our church as being we seek passionately to proclaim the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people. Now that being said, are we as a church passionately proclaiming the glory of God in Christ for the joy of all people? Are we doing that? The answer is yes, to a degree. but to the degree, but to the degree that we're making a significant significant commitment, uh, and a difference in the kingdom of God? Probably not so much. The positive thing about that answer is that if we acknowledge that that is true, that we're not there yet, then let's make the sacrificial commitment to do that and go forward, amen? And in that context, the truth be told, current surveys reveal that 95% of churches acknowledge that they are not fulfilling their mission, whether it be from a missional drift that usually happens in all churches over time, or because of the distraction of conflict that occurs in churches over change. There is no church that's immune to mission drift or conflict over change. We know that because, while Jesus did come to earth and die on our place, for our sins, and rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, we still live in a fallen world. We still have the fallen world in us. And we know that because the Bible speaks of mission drift and conflict over change in the early years of the church. The New Testament is full of letters from apostles dealing with these things. The New Testament is our picture in that. And that shouldn't be a surprise for us, because Jesus ordained the Church to be His physical presence on earth for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. To be His presence here, to help people find Jesus and help people follow Jesus. Last week in Acts chapter 10, we saw what that looks like when the door of the Gospel was opened to the Gentiles through visions that God gave to Cornelius and Peter. God's direct divine intervention enabled Peter to overcome his inherent prejudice against Gentiles, and finally understood that God shows no partiality when it comes to salvation. And the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and those who were with him confirmed to Peter and the Jews that the Gentiles were now part of the church. And so Peter had them baptized. And so this morning we step into chapter 11, where Luke records how the Jewish Christians in the church in Jerusalem acted towards the new Gentile followers of Jesus. Having fellowship with Gentiles was a new experience for the Jewish Christians, who for all of their lives looked on Gentiles as pagans and outsiders. Tradition said that a Gentile had to become a Jew in order to be accepted by God. But now the Jews and the Gentiles were united in the church through faith in Jesus Christ. This is is highly significant in that those who claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior cannot fulfill the Great Commission if they cannot first accept and love and get along with each other. In last week's text, we learned that whomever God accepts, we must also accept. And if we don't do that, we oppose God. In our text for this morning, God's Word describes three responses of the Jewish Christians to the Gentile Christians. And in each one of these responses, God shows us how we should be relating to one another, and how we can move people from wherever they are in their relationship with God, to where God wants them to be. Today we read that God blesses the church that practices the gospel principles of the Great Commission. So we'll start at verse one. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, and eat. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven, And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance, that leads to life. So in these words we first see that God blesses the church that practices the gospel principle of accepting people whom God accepts. We saw that last week in our text, and he's repeating it again. That means he wants us to hear it again. Uh, Luke tells us here that Peter no sooner returned from from Jerusalem than he met some members of a a legalistic uh, arm of the Jewish Christian faith. In the Church of Judea, um, this group was still believing that you needed to be circumcised in order to, Be saved. And they rebuked him, we read here, uh, for fellowshipping with Gentiles and eating with them. Keep in mind that the Jewish believers had not yet understood the relationship between law and grace, between Jews and Gentiles, and between Israel and the Church. Most Christians today understand these truths because we have the Word of God, but in Peter's day, There were many, it says in the first part of Acts, many Jewish priests in the church who would have still been zealous for the Mosaic Law. And there were many ordinary Jewish Jews who became Christians. That would have a hard time with that transition. And these weren't just matters of religion, but they were also matters of culture. And as we all know, cultural habits are really hard to break. The phrase making no distinction in verse 12 comes from the same word translated without hesitation in Acts 10, verse 20. Both phrases mean to make a difference. So these legalists were trying to make a difference between Gentiles and Jews while Peter had already demonstrated that there was no more difference between them. God had declared Gentiles to be clean, that is fully accepted before God on the very same basis as Jews in faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there's no suggestion here of fear in Peter as he's dealing with this confrontation. I think it's probably because he had been following orders from God and the Spirit had clearly confirmed their salvation. And so Peter goes to tell the whole story that we already read in Acts 10 and as he does, he gives them the, the entire experience. And when he's finished, the, the Jewish legalists drop their charges and they glorified God that the Gentiles had been saved. However, this, hasn't, this will not go away. <laughs> In Acts chapter 14, that same group will come after Paul and do the same thing. Even in the Jerusalem, after the Jerusalem conference, legalistic teachers continued to attack Paul and the church. They wanted to still woo people into a restrictive legalistic faith. This begs to be asked. Sometimes the question is asked, can a legalistic Christian be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? <laughs> well, Most times they can, but when they do they will never know the reality of what the depth of God's grace is, and they'll never have the joy of freedom that we're given in Jesus. But they could still be saved. In his defense against the legalistic Christians in Acts 11, Peter presented three pieces of evidence. The vision of God, that God gave them, a witness of the Spirit and the witness of the Word. And none of these legalistic men had seen the vision, but they they trusted Peter's report here because they know he had been a conservative Orthodox Jew before and he wouldn't take bringing the Gentiles in on his own. But it's very interesting when they say, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And what did they do then? They glorified God. The Gentiles became saved. The witness of the Spirit is crucial, for this was God's own testimony that he saved the Gentiles. And Peter had to go all the way back to Pentecost as as an example for what happened in Cornelius. Now what that suggests is that the dramatic occurrence of the Spirit accompanied with tongues was not an everyday occurrence in the church. So Cornelius and his household, when they received the Spirit, the moment they came to faith. This is our pattern today. When questioned, Peter asked, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And the legalists had no answer. From the beginning to the end, salvation of the Gentiles was the work of God's sovereign grace. God gave them the gifts of repentance and salvation. And Christians are to accept one another and not to get into disputes over cultural differences or matters of personal opinion. Some of the Jewish Christians in those early church wanted the Gentiles to become Jews, and some of the Gentile believers wanted the Jews to become Gentiles. And so, so these kinds of attitudes create conflict and division and as well cause missionary drift in the church. God blesses a church that practices the gospel principle of accepting people whom God accepts. Amen? Amen? Thank you. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them Christians. So here we read that God blesses the church that practices the gospel principle of the Great Commission of encouragement through discipleship. Here we read that the the followers of Jesus Christ that were scattered abroad during Saul's persecution of the church, some of them ended up in Antioch, which is the capital of Syria in those days which is 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Rome and Alexandria, having more than a half a million residents. It was the center of commerce and major crossroads for travel, for trade between Europe and Asia and the Orient. This made the city a melting pot of various races, including the Jews, Romans, Syrians, and all kinds of other Gentiles. The city of Antioch was well known for its sexual immorality. Five miles out of town, there was a shrine where worshipers of Artemis and Apollo pursued the religion of pleasure with temple prostitutes. It's significant that when God picked a city to become the center of propagating the Great Commission, he picked this cosmopolitan, morally corrupt city of Antioch. In this secular, pagan, immoral environment, Christians began telling the simple but life-changing story of Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners, and that whoever believes in him receives forgiveness and eternal life as free gifts from God. The same gospel that has the power of God for salvation to the Jews proved to be the power of God for salvation for these pagan Gentiles, as well. The founding and prospering of the church in Antioch is one of the most significant events in the history of Western civilization. It led to the distinctness of the Christian church apart from the Jewish synagogue, and it blended together, all of us together, as Jews and Gentiles. It was here where the first followers were called, we saw what? Christians. That came out, that name came out of that city. From Antioch, the church launched its first mission out into Europe. You and I would not be Christians today had not this church been, been established and followed through on the Great Commission. Now Luke tells us here that the church leaders in Jerusalem who had responsibility to shepherd the scattered flock recognized they had to include the gentile congregations now in Syria so apparently the apostles were ministering some place else so the elders commissioned Barnabas to go to Antioch to find out what was going on among the gentiles this proved to be a wise choice for it was Barnabas who lived up to his name his nickname basically son of encouragement Acts 11.24 gives us a spiritual profile of Barnabas as he appears to be the kind of Christian that all of us would want to be. He was a righteous man who obeyed the Word of God in his daily life so that his character was above reproach. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, which explains his effectiveness for ministry. He was a good man of faith and evident in the way that he encouraged the church, encouraged Paul. Christians and churches need people like Barnabas to encourage them in their growth and ministry. How did Barnabas encourage these new Gentile believers? First of all, Barnabas rejoiced in what he saw. It says here, He came and saw the grace of God, and he was glad. Worshiping with Gentiles would be an absolute new experience for him. But he approached it, it seemed like, positively. He didn't look for things to criti- criticize, he just rejoiced with them. It was the work of God and Barnabas gave thanks for the, the abundant grace that he poured on that church. Barnabas also emphasized dedication of the heart, soul, and mind and taught people the truths of the Word of God. The phrase here, remain faithful to the Lord, does not suggest that we can keep ourselves saved. The phrase is rather a reflection and reminder of Joshua's admonition to Israel to love God and walk in his ways and obey his word and serve him with all of their hearts. The phrase remain faithful to the Lord means that we belong to God alone and that we are to cultivate our devotion, our lives to him only. In the context of the Great Commission, the encouragement Barnabas provided for the church was discipleship, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There were two wondrous results from Barnabas encouraging discipleship in Antioch. First, there was a great impact in that city. In verse 24, and a great many people were added to the Lord. When followers of Jesus Christ are grounded in the word, they will have a strong witness to the lost. And there will be a balance in that church between edification and evangelism, worship and witness, teaching and testifying, always a balance. Second, the growth of the church meant Barnabas needed help. And so he went to Tarsus and he humbly enlisted Saul, now Paul, because Barnabas knew that God had commissioned him to evangelize the Gentiles. And we read that they came to the church in Antioch and for a whole year, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas taught that church. God blesses the church that practices the gospel principle of encouragement through discipleship. Verse 27. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Here we read, God blesses the church that practices the gospel principle of spontaneous, generous giving. These prophets, Luke talks about here, were Christians who ministered in local churches and taught the word of God. And they came to Antioch. The reason that they came to Antioch from Jerusalem indicates that there's a relationship now between a church in Syria and Jerusalem. And so things are coming together. One of the prophets, we read Agabus, predicted a coming famine. And the immediate response was to sacrificially give to the relief of those living in Judea and to send that gift with Barnabas and Saul. Now, God will bless a church that sees a need and quietly, spontaneously, without pressure, gives to that need. The famine easily could have hit Antioch, as well as Judea. The Gentile church could have said, well, it might happen to us, we need to save it. But they trusted God and they gave to the need of others. God will pour out his blessing when we are blessing to others. God blesses a church that practices the gospel principles of the Great Commission of accepting people whom God accepts, who encourages through discipleship and spontaneously gives generously. God's word tells us that when we commit ourselves to living out these principles, we will be fulfilling the mission of the Great Commission and we will relate with one another with less conflict and we will be able to move people where they are in the relationship with God to where God wants them to be. May the hand of God be with us so that great numbers will believe and turn to Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to do a little application today. In your bulletin, you have two notes of encouragement. Your homework right now and before you leave the church is to make sure you give at least two encouragements to someone here. Or to, it could be your spouse, it could be a, somebody you don't know, but just like Nike says, just do it, right? So, so let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for these words. And help us as we uh, think, even at this moment, who we're going to encourage. Lord, you are the great encourager. You are the one that gives us hope. You are the one who is the foundation of everything that that is worthwhile in life. And so, Lord, as we continue to think about uh, people coming to faith and all the stuff that comes with that, sometimes heartbreak, sometimes pain, but always, Lord, glory and goodness. And so, Lord, before we come to the table, even at this moment, I pray that you would be putting in our hearts the, not uh, the fact that I'm making anybody encourage, but that we would do it on our own, that we would see the world in a way that we want to invest in the kingdom of God and give to people and not judge them. And ultimately, Lord, watch them walk into the kingdom of God. So we look to you, we love you, and I pray again that you would help us, even on this morning, to encourage one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.